The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. It snowed today. I got snow on the ground. Oh, that, there's morning. that nasty four-letter word. Nope. 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 Most of our <laughs> snow. Our snow cleared up, but last we had weekend a, we got like eight inches here in Wichita. We, we we had a warning at the beginning of the show. We don't got to worry about four-letter words. <laughs> <laughs> That four-letter word—that's a bad one, though. <laughs> I uh, I went ahead and I I went ahead and um, got up this morning and uh, looked outside and it was fine. There wasn't anything going on or anything. It's like I don't know what time it was, but it was barely light out. And I remember thinking, I wonder, was there anything in the forecast that wasn't right? There wasn't anything in the forecast. Open my open my app, looked, nothing in the forecast. An hour later, Gabriel comes in and says, "Hey, it's snowing," and opens the window <laughs> to show me. And it's coming down. I mean, it's coming down pretty good for a minute, right? And I sure enough, I opened the window, opened the forecast right. app, the app on my phone, and sure enough, it had snow for the next like four hours on there. Like, <laughs> do 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 we know? Can, I mean, I realize that predicting the weather is kind of a you know. Boy, the weatherman's such a great game. Where I can be wrong seventy five percent of the time. Yeah, there's a series of pressure changes between everything west of you and where you're at. And that's uh, not as much uh, as it used to be. <laughs> there's a there's a, there's not as much west of me as it used to be. Yeah, but there's big pressure changes from the shifting altitudes. Oh, gosh, right. there's a lot of that. Uh, we're talking about moving up a little higher um, and more a little more remote actually uh, next summer. Right to the top of Pikes Peak. Not not quite that far. Um, <laughs> I've driven that road once. I I don't ever have to do it again. I wanted <laughs> to. I feel like on the matter. I wanted to when I was there this last summer, but for some reason, I'm not allowed to take a bus up that road. I know. I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> so sad. I always thought it'd be nice to live near. Uh, I think it's Fraser, Colorado, is up near Winter Park, and it's up in a valley, mm-hmm. uh, and then that's just a little way down the road, so you're not as clumped in with all the tourists all winter long uh but you're still in the area and there's still buses back and forth for free we're looking at woodland park and it's about it's i mean it's like 1500 feet higher than where we are now in elevation which is what we want and it's only about 20 minutes outside of the northwest side of colorado springs oh there you so, go so but it's all oh, through nice. a twisty mountain road you know so it's, it's really pretty drive going up there and everything it's highway it's not like a you know oh Oh shit! I'm gonna fall off the side any second, like Pike's Peak, for example. Right. Where, like the opening to The Shining, where they're driving into the mountains. Where, it's fun. where the reason yeah. you couldn't take a bus up, Joe, wasn't that they didn't feel you couldn't handle the bus. It's that passing motorists would shit themselves and go flying off the side of the mountain. Oh no! I Truth. I know the road enough that there's three no or way. four corners <laughs> that a full size bus wouldn't just couldn't make just it without doing do. like maybe do. if you did a five point turn at the like right on the edge of the cliff <laughs> okay. on the hang on kids. <laughs> <laughs> but I was in a minibus. If I used all of the road and the shoulders, I could have made it up to the top. Oh, yeah. No problem. Hey, kids, for this particular trip, I'm going to need you all to move as far forward on the bus as possible <laughs> to make sure our weight's distributed. Right. If I say lean left, lean left. <laughs> and we mean hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> at this time, we would like everybody to move to the left side of the bus. No, at this point, we'd like everybody to hang off the windows on the outside of the left side of the bus. They have the race there every year, and there's different records for different classes of vehicles. There is mm. no record set for commercial vehicles. So either way, I'd either get the record or kill everyone. And either way, that's a headline. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, good call. I appreciate your forward thinking there, Joe. I also appreciate you not it. doing that because I like you. <laughs> right. I, just want, I just want to be able to say, I know that guy, you know? Now, there's a, Either I know the dumbass that took a <laughs> took a bus up Pikes Peak, or I know the dumbass that drove off the side of Pikes Peak. There is a sim racing place here in town where they have the full setups that you can try, like simulation racing. Oh yeah, I've tried the Pikes Peak run in cars built for it, and have taken three or four attempts, and have never made it to the top. 
Mm, dicey stuff, man. Yeah. I love watching that race, though. When they go up that mountain in like nine and a half minutes, right around there is the current record, and it's wild. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, <laughs> program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. Thank you very much for being here. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Joe. And I'm Vanessa. This is episode number 294, and uh, we're going to talk about social combat today. I got some things I want to bring up and see what you guys think. Um, but first, weird to be on the microphones. Like, I had no voice between uh, about, uh, well, it wasn't like immediately after Tsunami Con. I got home, was feeling fine. A couple of days, I was fine. Around the weekend, I started losing my voice, and then I got sick. And like, I, you know, I was a radio guy for a lot of years. So I know this about myself because it affected my job so much. I get a cold in the last like two, three days, but I still lose my voice for three or four weeks. It would piss my boss off to no end. Uh, I, I, was, I wasn't really thinking about shit like this, though, when it came to the convention, and I should have been, right? I, I think I'm so out of the habit of, of thinking in terms of gaming in person anymore. That makes right. me sad. <laughs> you know, it's like my entire yeah, life prior to the pandemic was nothing but gaming in person. Right. <laughs> it's like, what the deal? Um, and I do, I mean, I do game in person with my kids, my wife and kids here at the house. That's, I guess, not the same as it used to be a, a, a used to be an event. You know, every week it was, it was actually, it was part of our routine. It was so regular, right? You know, I've always, I've always run more than one game a week. And so we'd have, we used to host most of our games and, you know, so I'd have, we'd have people over the house, you know, uh, once, twice, three times a week. So it was, it was, you know, it, it was, it was just something you prepared for and you worked for and you know, hosting was just kind of a natural thing. And you tried to make sure you had snacks and people would bring snacks and, you know, you, it was just, you got the social environment that was part of your everyday life. Right. And then, you know, everybody felt that during COVID. So it wasn't like this big thing where it was like, you know, we, we weren't standing out. You know, this was unusual. Oh, poor me. Poor everybody. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. But, say, Pre-COVID, I think I was in five different in-person games every week. Uh, see, that's a little excessive. No, I can't say that. No. <laughs> I'm running five games right now, but they're not all weekly. One of them is like once every other week, if we're lucky. See how it goes. Uh, and then I think the, the highest others... I got was four. <laughs> really? It yeah. seemed like there for a while you were in a lot of games. Oh, I also but... had board game night on top of that. So I guess technically mm. five. There you go. <laughs> But I don't, um, you know, I don't, I don't worry about it anymore. And, and nowadays, our game, our groups tend to be smaller because they're online, and it's it's just easier to manage. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's like if one person, if you have a four person group and one person can't make it, most of the time, it's just worth dropping the game that week. Right. It's just not a big deal, you know. For one, when Which you again, had, sorry you know, for tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. When when you had seven or eight people at a group, if you dropped because one person couldn't make it, that's six or seven people who are disappointed for the week. Whereas right now, it's just three or four. <laughs> we're disappointed for the week yeah and it's not as big a deal you know because you're all kind of on the same page anyway it's, you know, it's an easier easier groups to get along with we have one game i'm running right now that's five players i think our war of the burning sky game and so if one person can't make it we still have four and we can do that and my it, my yeah. every other friday game that's an in-person game we have five players and our standing rule is if one person is missing we'll still play if two people are missing then we cancel right I think that's, I think that makes sense though. I mean, you're starting to, you're approaching such a good percentage of the group at that point, you know, you do something else if you really want to get together and hang out or whatever. Right. Um, and that's kind of the thing, right? I mean, it's, it, like I said, it was social activity back then. Now it's, it's all online. So for me, so it's as easy as 
oh, I'm not going to have to walk over to the computer and sit down and turn on the microphone. Eh, you know, I'm not, uh, you know. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. we'll still get together and do like online stuff, you know, like yeah. uh, board gaming online or something. Board game arena is um, great. Right. Or Jackbox. Yeah. Jackbox is also Thanksgiving. great. Was that so on Thanksgiving Day or was that on Black Friday? Thanksgiving Day. That's fun. Yeah. Richard's got all of them and he's like, he and uh, Jason decided to promote kind of let's, let's do a Jackbox day. Oh yeah. You know, come as you are kind of thing online. And, uh, there were, I don't know why, four or five of us that, yeah, that did it for a couple, three hours. We had fun. It was good. Um, I didn't even think I was going to be able to, but Thanksgiving was weird around here because uh, uh, Jonica had been visiting her folks in uh, Winfield and she'd, you know, her, her mom had a medical procedure while she was there. So she'd have to stick around longer than she planned. And then it was like, well, you're, ro- you're rolling into Thanksgiving at this point anyway. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not a big deal to us. I mean, we, we still managed a little dinner, me and the kids. You know, um, I didn't have any turkey, but we made cheeseburgers. And then all the other fixings were kind of like Thanksgiving fixings, which was funny. I circumstantially had the stuff to make mashed potatoes and I had corn cobets in the freezer and I had cranberry sauce in the cabinet and I had stuffing. I mean, I was like, dude. There you go. <laughs> I, I planned ahead the week before I got a, a, a turkey uh, uh, TV dinner. TV dinner? They don't call it TV dinner anymore. They call it those microwave meals. Microwavable dinners. Yeah. 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 Same yeah. thing. Right. I'm going to walk her out and get my. My aluminum TV dinner to put on my TV oh, tray. Dude, those were the days, right? Oh and to gosh. pop in the oven and let them cook so 12 exciting. hours. We each get our own dinner. There's always that one stupid kernel of corn that gets in your brownie. Oh, <laughs> every time. Yeah. Motherfucker, I can't it believe it. It's wrong to have a brownie like that without corn in it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I don't know, dude. Hungry man. <laughs> it's a way of life. <laughs> it's not a good way of life, but it is a way of life. Uh, and then we, uh, you know, we were for so long, Joe, when we were living back there, we'd done the dinners at your place and everything. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I'm sure this year was different for you too. Yeah. You doing was, that. Yeah. We didn't have our, I didn't have that now that I'm divorced. I don't know if I've said that on the uh, podcast. Yeah, let, but... let's, let's bring that up. That's depressing. I should have just, you know, like, yeah. well, I want to throw you out there, Joe. Why don't no, you just tell the people what's fine. going I on just, in your life? I've been telling people, I just don't know if I've said that on the podcast, but if not, me and Alicia got divorced back in the spring. Which apparently happens. is still fine because they're still gaming with me on Monday and yeah, they've only threatened to it, kill each other two or three times now. So Right. Which they were doing But before. it's all in-game. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely a different Thanksgiving, but I ended up having, in a week and a half, five separate Thanksgiving meals. Oh, that's Lord, funny. Man. Yeah. I, I've had enough turkey. <laughs> no more. Right. <laughs> I In that week and a half, I gained six pounds. Oh, dude. I know. It's a lot of turkey, man. Work harder. It was a lot of food. Sleep harder. Uh, My yeah. ex still That's makes duck to this day because I turned him on to duck as an alternative to make a smaller bird, and he will still make duck to this day because he likes dark meat. Well, then you're already two-thirds the way there to your traducan. <laughs> <laughs> Is is, My, is duck smaller than a turkey? It is taller. Yeah. It is smaller than yeah. a turkey. Yeah, 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 yeah. My brother made a tur- turducken one year, and his wife absolutely hated it. She doesn't like duck, and she said turducken made everything taste like duck. You had turkey, it was duck. You had duck, it was duck. You had chicken, it was duck. You've yeah. got to prep duck correctly if you're going to cook it right. It's duck so is, greasy if you do it oily. wrong. I don't, you I don't have care for to, it. You yeah. have to prep it. You have to, every, everything about it is not about basting into it. 
you need it's to about base getting the fat out, out of it. This is some, <laughs> but if this you is do some it right, hard, off the fat, <laughs> hardcore gaming conversation here. But isn't man, it? if you do it right, it renders all that fat and it fries the skin as it cooks, and it's so, so good. good when done right. There's one of the Asian markets in town that one of the food bloggers that I follow gets ducks from every year for Thanksgiving, and he just that's part of his Thanksgiving tradition. He started it a couple of years ago. It was with the best bird he'd ever had. Just so now duck, every year yeah. he just goes there. Man, now I want to try a cooked. duck. It's been a while since I've cooked a duck. Now I want to because of you guys. <laughs> well, we're glad uh, we could well, Let me know when and I'll be over. <laughs> right? There you go. Yeah, Richard's uh, all say, about I, we, could, we could figure out something just saying I like duck. <laughs> <laughs> I may not be able to make it, Joe, but that's hardly yeah, a surprise. Yeah, it's a little bit of a drive. Yeah, yeah it's all good. So um, if anybody like else would like anyway. to go to Joe's for duck, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> right, eat a Joe's. I can, I can maybe fit two people in this apartment. <laughs> there we go. Well, they could rotate out. You know, there we go. One with hang the out duck. on the balcony. One make an appointment. <laughs> Draw cards to see who gets to stay in. You know, who, who gets to come in next. Oh, make uh, a lottery. Got, <laughs> that's that's why I got these cards. Yeah, you got perfect cards for it. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. I love it. Yeah, for the, yes, for the yes, audio yes. listeners, I have these jumbo cards that are about... They're I'd twice the size of his head. Eight inches wide by a foot long. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's insane. Okay. So the letter sized almost. Yeah. Ugh, it's crazy, but perfect for Savage Worlds. You know, just... Oh, <laughs> hey, yeah. it's, it's, it's your action! Boom! Right to the head. <laughs> What's my card? <laughs> Dude, how can you not see that? <laughs> Hold on, let me get my reading glasses to look at my card. I just don't know which and of the four cards in front of me is mine. <laughs> right. Half the table is card. Well, I dealt initiative, but everyone seems confused or <laughs> unconscious. I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> But man, the paper cuts are bad. Dude, that's just par for the course. That's that's right. them, them's are growing pains, right? I mean, that's part of like when I got into playing guitar, they told me it wasn't really it wasn't real until I bled on my guitar. And and it's the what, same way with Savage Worlds, right? Yeah, no, yeah. Actually, it took a little longer than that, but I did eventually start bleeding on my guitar. Um, <laughs> I might have been a little too into it. <laughs> but I don't have that problem with gaming. I've never been too into gaming, honestly. No, never. There's no such thing. Oh, no. I, so, I think the bleeding uh, is in your wallet. <laughs> it certainly yeah. has been in the past. But I don't play Magic I mean, only if you have anymore. some sort of bad addiction like buying dice. Dude, oh, dude. How, much, how much did we collectively <laughs> spend when Swage came out? It was totally worth it, but how much did we collectively spend with well, $100? The thing is, it. though, I mean, you're talking about like all at once. That's different. That's different yeah. than, you know, having to sure. buy something constantly. Well, I'm I mean, not I've talking got, about Magic the Gathering. Right. You see what I mean? We're on the same page. You and me. You and me, sister, are on the same page. I don't do that. I, I don't do that. I am so glad I've never gotten to Magic the Gathering. I know how bad I am about buying dice. Yes. If I was that addicted to buying cards, I would be homeless. I'd be living in a yeah. tower of cards. I can yeah. say that since I got into doing Savage Worlds, I have collected a, a embarrassing number of card decks. <sighs> I'm because guessing I have. I'm guessing I have more decks of cards than you, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I collected decks of cards Maybe. before I played Savage Worlds. That just made it yeah. worth it. Um, uh, see, I, I collect decks of cards, and about half of the decks of cards I have, you can actually use. <laughs> Because magic decks and stuff. Yeah, the other ones Trick are decks. Uh, magic decks that they look real. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You know, I, uh, I, I actually, um, I mean, I've like a lot of older gamers. I've been buying games and been fascinated with games of all kinds for most of my life. And um, I even have a, a rather um, 
entertaining collection of um, older board games and such. You know, it's like everything that I played in my youth, I've made chains over the years to get my hands on and then some, right? Uh, I used to troll eBay for things we were getting rid of that had been published in the 50s. I just, I like having that stuff. You don't see it in the game library because nobody else wants that shit. And I don't want to take it anywhere. It's embarrassing. (laughs) But I think you don't want to lose that because it'd be hard to get replaced. Yeah, in a lot of cases, they'd be very hard to get replaced. But um, I even have an original uh, pit game with like the orange bell in it. You know, the, the, oh, the, nice. what do they call that? Like the, the ones on desk, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and it's in the foam insert and the, the cover that just goes over the top. Oh, yeah, I, the deluxe version from like the 50s. I, I really enjoy that stuff. But I don't... Um, I don't play them a lot, obviously. They're just kind of a collectible for me. Right. I, I, I probably would with some of them because they're some of those games that I still really enjoy. But over the years, computers have, uh, you know, computer games have been made of most of them and they give me the opportunity to sit down and play on the computer at lightning speed and realize that I'm not as good at them as I thought, which does really kind of change your enthusiasm for the game. Right. I, <laughs> something you said to you. I, I, used to, I used to be the bomb at Othello. I would just destroy anybody I sat down and played Othello with. And now there's like 15 levels on my little Othello app, and I can't beat them past level 7. I can't even figure out why. Where, where did that move come from? I don't understand. My, my strategy seems sound. But, you know, what can you do? Uh, and I've never been... I've never been that good at a lot of that. I'm not, I'm not a great gamer. It's probably one of the reasons I enjoy playing board games so much because I don't rely on my ability to win games to enjoy them. Right. Because <laughs> if I did, I'd never enjoy them. <laughs> this, was, this was years and years ago because this was actually before I started uh, tabletop role playing. And it was actually with the guy who was, I know I've talked about it a while ago on the podcast that my first DM was a very shitty, shitty DM. But it was playing board games with him and his girlfriend before we got into role playing games that i learned about king making because i wasn't playing to win the board game i was just playing to make sure he lost (laughs) (laughs) because he was he was an ass and it was so fun to just make him lose every time i hear that some some personalities it's just it feels like you can't you can't enjoy it any other way right yeah we would our our go-to game like a lot of people at that point was uh settlers of Catan. And he was the mm. one who would take 15 minutes to play his turn and then get real shitty if no one would trade with him because it didn't make sense. And then he would mope and pout that no one would trade with him and stuff like that. So I'm yeah, like, that's nope, why I'm just... I don't play that game with my husband. Right. So yeah, I, I played for him to lose. Anytime he didn't win, I felt like I won. It was great. I haven't played Catan in forever. I do have a copy in the library, but I, I don't touch it. I, I feel like... Um, I feel like it's a game that played itself out for me really fast. Like there wasn't enough variation in the way the game yeah. worked. And I know they've made like a gazillion ex- ex- you know, expansions that did give you more variation. But yeah, there, when you have to add entire subsystems in order to create variation in a game, the game really isn't the thing. It's a fantastic you know? gateway into better board Apparently. games than you know yeah. Monopoly and Sorry and Clue. Well, <laughs> and it will still have a warm space in my heart because what other game can I get away with yelling, "I've got wood for sheep"? Yeah. Oh gosh, there are some other games, so but you know, bad. I don't know. I don't know if even his uh, little warning at the beginning of the podcast can cover those when, games. When you do it during <laughs> Monopoly, people look at you really weird. <laughs> then you're not playing Monopoly with the right people. <laughs> I can't uh, get people to play Monopoly. I'm not so sure there's any such thing as the right people for Monopoly. Yeah. Well, Monopoly's um, not bad. Monopoly is not as... Time to it's Vanessa. not as bad as it, most people make it out to be oh, if you actually is. follow the rules. 
No, it's still okay. not a great game, okay. but if you actually follow the rules with the auction system that no one uses, here's it the makes thing. it a lot better. Right. Here's yeah. the thing. Monopoly is, is saying that. It, I mean, that it feels like that is correct when you say it, because what you are contrasting with is the habit we know that was developed throughout the entire amalgam of Monopoly history over the last 500 years. That, right. that that people create these house rules and ridiculously bend it. And, and, and most often, by the way, most often people bend the rules and ignore the rules of Monopoly to prolong the fucking game, yep. which is absolutely house, insane. All of the house rules add more money into the game. And the whole point of the game is you have a limited amount of money. Or keep players in the game beyond yeah. the point which there's any point in doing it. Like, okay, I'm going to do this thing so you're not eliminated right now, but you somehow... After you go through all that trouble, they're still in a position where they will never recover right? and should have been fucking eliminated because it's going to be a miserable game for them from that point forward anyway. Yep. Yeah. But the truth is, it is still a terrible game, guys. I, I stand on this. It yeah. is still a terrible game. It just feels like you can say it's not as bad as the way we all fuck it up. Right. So, yeah, you know, and it's true. If I'm going to play Monopoly with the computer... It's actually fun. Yeah. If yeah. you play it with all the actual rules, the game takes 30, 45 minutes. <laughs> no I cheating. Don't... Yeah. It, it's quick. And and, the, and every other turn, you can have like four people at the table and it all goes super fast, right? Because the computer's yeah. doing everything. You can set it to where it's just all happening at once. You know, I, I, I don't, don't mind like, that at all. I don't like any game that has the elimination factor in it yes. where you, someone loses and they just have to wait for the game to finish. Any game that has that, I'm not a fan of. But and we were talking about this it, recently on one of our threads, as I recall. Yeah. yeah. It, it's. It's still yeah. better than, well, it's a six-hour game because we just keep pumping more money into free parking. <laughs> yeah. This isn't even a thing. Exactly. <laughs> free parking Never is just been. a free stop. <laughs> but it's also, you know, at its heart, a terrible game because of what it represents. Right. You know, the game was actually first invented by a lady who was trying to demonstrate the evils of capitalism. Yeah. You know, and Parker Brothers, or was Parker Brothers and Milton Bradley? Whoever it was at the it's time. Parker Brothers. Parker Brothers. They, 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 they they worked on trying to get her to sell the rights, and when she wouldn't because of what they were going to do with it or something. Yeah. Eventually, they either strong-armed or stole it. I can't remember which. I believe they just stole it, if I remember And just right. made their own version. But they made, but they twisted it to where it's a celebration of capitalism, right? Right. Yeah. Just, just complete 180 on it. And I always wonder with that original game. I have a game may not called have been Anti-Monopoly. Yeah. Um, it is a really, Joe, really old game that I got at a Joe picked sale. that up somewhere and gave it to us, I think. Yeah, I found it, it yeah, at a, games. I found it at a in a state cell one time and I yeah. like, and it it was brilliant. So I'm like and yeah, I, I gave it to I believe the game library if I remember yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. I I had a game when I grew up which was related to Monopoly, used the same character, same stuff, but it was called Go for Broke and you were literally supposed to be the first person to run out of money. Oh, nice. <laughs> Somehow that's a lot easier. I, think. I hadn't even yeah, thought about that in years. No, it's well <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Wait a minute. I played that game too. It's called Careers. And I always went broke. No, no, I, I have careers. <laughs> I can do it I easy. I'll just have the 1950s careers with all the politically yeah. incorrect nice. job path. <laughs> um, I'd like to get my hands on one of the old copies of careers. Uh, we played it when I was when I was like in the 80s. We played it when I was a kid. Um, my, my dad uh, would play it with me a lot. And um, I wanted a copy of the Kmart special game too, the blue light special game from Kmart that was really mm. is very oh, old, very old as well. That was kind of cool. Uh, I, again, not actually good games or anything, just things I want in my collection. I had never heard of this game before. I'm looking at it right now. Careers. This is oh, yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, the uh, 1950s better, one's the better one because you can actually go look for uranium and go to the moon. Better than um, Monopoly is the, I think it's called Solar Quest. There is a um, 
uh, solar system version out of an up where you buy oh, like moons I and stuff. Love that. We played the hell out of that game. Uh, kids, folks had a copy for whatever reason, and we used to when we were when we were teenagers, we used to play it a lot, hanging at his place. It's like this is, a, and I picked up a copy, so online I lost it again. I mean, you know, it's like one of these one of these problems we have with owning, you know, hundreds of games is that we move a lot and just shit just disappears. And I mean, we move a lot, and the game library moves a lot, so you know, I don't know what ever happened to it. It's like I've had like a couple, three copies of Divine Right over the years, which was like a TSR game that came out in the like late seventies. I had the Battlestar Galactica game with all the expansions. No idea where it's at. Like an older one, a Battlestar Galactica game. No, the the one that came out after oh, the, the one series. that came out, the newer series. Yeah, uh, I think I played yeah, that a, one with you. I've before. got a copy of that in the library. I don't have any expansions, but I like the game. Uh, it's, yeah. it's one of those that's got like somebody pretending. I mean, because you don't know who the Cylons are, kind of thing. Or did uh, I so. play that with you, or did I play that when I was in college? I think you played it when you were in college, because I don't think I actually played my copy of the game. The one time I played somebody else's copy of the game, I didn't understand the rules. They said you'll figure I it don't out, when I and that. I said okay. something because uh, I gave up that I was the Cylon. Because I'm like, because you know better, mean? right? Well, so the only person that had that game, card was the Cylon. I had just started hanging out with a board gaming group when I was in Hayes for college. This was my first night with the group. I didn't know anybody, and I was the Cylon. And because I didn't know anybody, nobody knew any of my tells. I oh, 100% nice. won that game. Oh, <laughs> nice. On your wedding <laughs> night, nice. you were secret Hitler, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, Playing and a game where we're trying fascist. to suss out, yeah, who who the fascists are. God, and... I haven't played Secret Hitler in a while, but that's such a fun game. It is, it, but you need really a lot is. of people. Yeah. I, I I enjoy it. I like um I like those bluffing games. Again, I'm not good at them. I'm not good at the bluffing, and I'm not good at figuring out who's bluffing. I'm just I'm scary good at the bluffing part. part. I it, it's uh, probably my not daughter a good is thing, too. Okay, so I got good enough at it that when we played werewolf at work, if I made it past day two, I was probably a werewolf, and I had convinced people to work with me. <laughs> nice. Yeah, they, they would kill her immediately. Nice. They, they would kill me because I was on the winning team for like a dozen games in a row, regardless which side I was on. And then they were just like, Vanessa's a target. I don't care. I don't Took care. About two weeks Vanessa to play needs to a die. Game. Vanessa got to play about one day every other week. Yeah. We had that game. What's it called? Resistance, I think. There's no other people that did two. Um, oh, yeah. Gosh. They, uh, they had this kind of like, I, I like this idea. So they, they developed these games. They released Coup, which is this sort of like, um, it, it, it's just a little card, a little bluffing card game, right? One of those like where you only have like a couple cards in your hand at any given time and people don't know what it is. You're trying to kind of like outmaneuver other people at the table. We've been playing that again lately. And, and it's, but, but it has this kind of like meta concept behind it, this dystopian society and this, you know, this kind of like Italian kind of city state with this corrupt court of like actors and, you know, you're, you're maneuvering against each other. And then they decided to make other games that kind of take place to the same quote unquote universe, right? The dystopian universe, they called it. And uh, one of them was a game called Resistance. And this was before C Secret Hitler came out. I mean, it was like that year before. And it's the same idea of, of a construct of a game, right? Same, same thing, only wasn't made to handle as big a crowd as I think Secret Hitler could handle, which can handle like 10, 12, 15 10. people probably. And it's and, almost okay. better with 9 or 10 people. And, and, and maybe Resistance can handle 10, but I, I, I feel like like 8 or something is kind of high. But we played it with 6 people several times. And it was really good. Nira just kills at these games. You know, she always seems to be on the winning side, and she just never gives away anything. And I don't understand why I can't. And Jason, of course, is really good at that kind of stuff too. The bluffing games. I am Resistance not. is like Secret Hitler, five to ten people. Okay, and I love it. I love it. It's fun, and I I like the idea of releasing games that have because I wanted to do a Zero Signal too, right? I wanted to release more games in that same setting, kind of, you know. 
would have been yeah, cool. Yeah, it yeah would be cool. I, I still could. Yeah, I still could. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I just haven't been working on it in recent years because other things, I guess. I don't have a good excuse. I just, you know, life, I guess. But um, they've got a couple of expansions for Koo out, and they've got, like, um, the the Resistance Camp. And then the Dystopian, they call it Dystopian Universe? Call it Dystopian something. But they actually have a, a Fate RPG book for it that came out a couple years ago that I got in Kickstarter. Hmm. I would oh, so love that'd to be play fun. with that. Yeah. That's you know, interesting. I, I don't know that it really makes a difference that it's tied to that other shit, because, you know, all it is is kind of generically what it is. So it's all about style more than substance at that point. But you make it what you can. And Fate's, of course, a game that you can do anything with and tell any kind of story. So I um, always thought that'd be fun to pull that out and do something with. It. I never have. So many indie games coming out. There's so many games coming out now based on these models that are popular now uh, beyond Fate, like uh, uh, Powered by the Apocalypse stuff and the Forge in the Dark stuff. And these games are coming out now, and I don't know. I mean, you don't even know what they are anymore. Like, I just recently, somebody had commented that the Avatar Legends game is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. I have the books in PDF. I've looked at them. I've never stopped to realize that the mechanics are the Powered by the Apocalypse mechanic. Yeah, I've all never... the characters have their own playbooks and everything. Yeah. It's it, very it makes well sense skinned, since somebody said it. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. That's a very good, that's a very well said, Rich. I think that the skinning is what makes the difference for me because they didn't promote it as a PBTA game. It was probably mentioned in there somewhere, but it wasn't the point of it, right? I mean, this is just, it's an open uh, game model and it's, you know, open game system has become very popular in recent years. People really like it. I haven't been as enamored with it. We've played a little bit of, um, was the Hydra Hackers was a Powered by the Apocalypse game, yeah. I think? Yeah. I yeah, mean, it was. That was fun when when uh, Phil uh, Vecchio ran that for us, his company put out. I, and if you're interested in that, I'll put a link in the show notes. There's a, like a video on YouTube where we're playing it. It's, I've got um, a it's copy like cool. right next to me. Sure. <laughs> and it, was, it was a cool game. Yeah, it was worth picking up copies of afterwards, obviously. Um, I, I was pretty uh, uh, excited to get to try it. But when Apocalypse came out, Apocalypse World came out, I mean, it was... A uh, phenomenally well constructed game that represented exactly what it was built to represent. You know, people in that particular style of post apocalyptic setting dealing with the kind of challenges that it was oriented around. And it was it was gorgeous. But um, the first time somebody made a hack of it was honestly the Dungeon World hack, which I never have liked. I know there's some people that really like it, and I pre- I appreciate that. And I appreciate there's a lot of people that like the the the, the feel or the style of Dungeons and Dragons, particularly older. You know, like old school Renaissance stuff, or or simpler versions of the game, and and just don't want to play D anD D. You know, for whatever reason, because there's like a hundred reasons that people don't want to play D anD D, and they're they're just they're valid. You know, no argument here. But uh, Dungeon World was not it for me. I don't like the playbook approach to characters in a game that I feel it it restricts. I feel like it pigeonholes in you. Like these it's like it's like giving you a list of actions you can take in a way, and so that even if it isn't actually as restrictive as it seems, it does make it feel like this is your list of options in the game. And that bugs the shit out of me because that isn't the point of games like that to me. I mean, I think um, even traditional role-playing games that are kind of pigeonholed around one particular construct like D&D, which is a, what, fantasy um, adventure game, combat simulator built around, you know, characters going from zero to hero. There's a lot of premises that go specifically with D&D to make it what it is, but we can use it for anything. And we fucking have used it for anything. I mean... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like you don't have to run. You don't have to play the game that is designed to be. And you know, you get plenty of people that go. Well, there's now there's a thousand other games out, and there's going to be a number of them that will 
be, be designed to do exactly what it is you're trying to do with a system that isn't made for it. Why don't you just play that other game? And I respect that choice, <laughs> but I like the games that I know and can make them dance to the tune I want to without it feeling like I'm breaking anything. I don't yeah. see a problem. So um, in, in, in the past, it's also been the easier way to get people to play my games because I didn't have to talk them into learning a new game system, which was a thing. Weird, isn't that? I mean, that's not so much a thing for any of us nowadays. Nowadays, yeah. I think we're all about learning a new game system. Yeah, I'm always for trying something I new. I love learning new game systems. <laughs> but yeah. gosh, I, I don't... Uh, I, I don't, I, I remember a time when that was not the case, you know, especially during the days of the D20 glut, when um, in the, in the aughts is like everything that came out, there was a D20 version of, even if there's a new game coming out, they'd make a D20 version of it because they knew you could build stuff on this open gaming license and it would sell because DMs didn't have to talk their gamer or their players into learning something new. Right. And somehow that became a massive selling point. I don't know why that had to be the case, because obviously years later when I finally got around after, because in the 90s, I did some experimenting with other games, went through my experimental phase in college, just like everybody else, and came out the other end and went back to my D&D, my love of my life, and played D20 games for years and years and years and years. And I can't believe I ever bothered running things like D20 Modern when there were better systems for it. <laughs> Last D20 Modern game in the middle of the campaign, I converted it to Savage Worlds and never looked back. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, there's a lot of good reasons for that. I mean, and, Savage to Worlds. To be fair, yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? I, I will never not love playing Savage Worlds. So when you have a, 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 when you have a hard-on for a <laughs> generic system that you can do anything with, you look at ways to do anything with it. Right. I mean, that's one of the things that makes it fun, right? I am currently running a Savage Fantasy game. I am running a Savage Cyberpunk game. Um, I have in the past, of course, run anything from, uh, you know, horror scenarios, investigative horror scenarios, space, sci-fi space, hard sci-fi, a lot of space horror stuff because that's my jam. Um, I love Savage Fantasy and people are like, why not just play D&D? Um, well, yeah. guess what doesn't feel much like D&D? In, <laughs> right. in the 90s, played a ton of GURPS and uh, mm -hmm. even in fantasy setting and it was... Just that different D and D is great when you're doing high fantasy, high magic fantasy, but it was the yeah. original generic system you could do anything with. I mean, others did it, like you know, um, yeah, Cthulhu's BRP system was generic. Palladium had a generic system. Freaking uh, hero system you could do anything with. We actually did fantasy hero back in the day. I remember, but yeah. none of them. You know, they they all felt very different. There was always a reason to go. I'd rather do this instead of this. Like the first time I ran a fantasy hero game, I wanted to do something you couldn't do with D and D. It was that simple. You know, yeah, there was a premise to it that didn't work. I wanted something that felt almost a little more superheroic in the way it was built, right? Where the characters, you didn't start zero to go to hero. The characters were never really going to gain a lot. And all the, they each had powers. They're all kind of built around yeah. an artifact. There's a thing that worked really well in a system other than D&D. The top right. secret SI, and uh, I played... Top secret. Uh, the, there was the first thing I varied from D&D, &D and uh, I played... Well, I guess it was the second, but didn't get very far with Shadow or Shadowrun. <laughs> I get that. Shadowrun. I, heard, I read that they're going to reprint first edition Shadowrun. They are. What? Why? I don't... Because there are people that don't have third editions, I, yeah, and I saw, first I saw edition still has like wired technologies instead of a bunch of wireless. Like, yeah, I think that's kind of fun, be nostalgia. <laughs> that is nostalgia. That's all that is. But yeah, I was enchanted with the Freelancer's Edition to Top Secret SI because you had these advantages and disadvantages, and you had these psionic type superpowers. It was just so different. Yeah, I um I love like the, the Gumshoe system, for example. But I still need one to of mess the, with that. One of the coolest games I've seen built on, 
I'm pretty sure it's been Gumshoe from Rokoku. Because uh, it's been a few years since I looked at it. But Knights Black Agents, which um, I think Kenneth Height wrote. And it's a game where you, the, the world, it's a, it's a secret superhero, or superhero. It's a secret agent game. It's an espionage game, right? But the principal players in the espionage community throughout the world are vampires. That's really the only thing that makes it different. And yet it somehow makes everything different. Your characters aren't necessarily vampires. <laughs> I think quite the opposite, actually. <laughs> It's kind of fucking cool, <laughs> and they were, he and he released a ton of supplements for it. It's it's um it's it's fun. It's out there if you look, if you look it up. Um, I'll even put a link. Uh, like Knights Black Agents. I'm pretty sure I got the name right. I never got to play it, but it's it's just one of those you know dozens of books I I got my hands on at some point and went oh the, shiny this is so pretty I'll put this over here in my digital archive. You have now described my entire drive through RPG <laughs> right. I, I really need to branch out some like. I've ran a lot of different systems, but they're all more jokey, and I've ran them as one-shots. Novelty stuff, yeah. Yeah, novelty stuff. Anytime I'm running a longer version, like a long-form game, it's always been D&D, and I've never ran anything else. I, I really haven't need ran anything long-form at all, so you're already a step ahead of me. I've done a bunch there of one-shots. <laughs> Why'd I recommend Savage Worlds? You might have heard of it. I've, um, I've heard of it once or twice. <laughs> You know, what's funny is um, I posted something. There's a questionnaire going on around right now on social media. It's one of those like, um, what was the first game you played? When did you start gaming? You know, all these things. What do you, what mechanics do you like? What don't you like? I felt all these things. I even added a couple categories to see if anybody would notice because um, right. people like copy them and like make their own. And so, and they're on your friends list, right? Uh, so one of the people that commented on mine that I thought was kind of cool was, um, you know, Shirley uh, mm-hmm. comes to all of our yeah. events. Um, you know, she's been a gamer forever, oh, yeah. you know, uh, and she, she used to go to Gen Con like every year. I mean, she's, she's definitely involved in the community. I've played a lot of games with her that Peter runs. Yes. I, I figured she'd been like, like Peter, like me. I figured she'd been a Savage Worlds person for years. She commented on the post that, um, I mean, amongst some other things that she said, which were really, really, really delightful, um, things that the compliments that she paid to me, but she, uh, she noted that she, her first Savage Worlds game was run by Nira. Huh. I didn't realize because <laughs> she does so much of it <laughs> yeah it's like, wow yeah, that's so cool <laughs> and uh enough for her to fall in love with the game obviously but uh my daughter runs a good game yeah a i've game. played one of her savage worlds games i'm trying to remember which one because i remember it being really really very inventive with- stuff it might have been the revenant usa that a lot of people liked that one the one with the uh kind of monsters in the midwest or in the old west yes that's what it was and, yeah uh she ran that one a few times uh at events and stuff but uh i've Really enjoyed being able to do just different stuff with Savage, of course, and I think I've been proselytized quite a bit with it, and maybe I need to stop pushing so hard. Here's the funny thing. When you get into a generic system that you really love and you start to realize you could do anything with it, you start putting blinders on about the things that maybe it doesn't tonally manage as well as you'd like. Right. Um, and that's that's completely legit. You can do things like the main books have all these like setting rule concepts you can do to kind of better tailor your Savage Rules game so it fits different tones. But they really are kind of patches at that point, right? They're not they're not really addressing the core system any. And like the big thing with Savage Worlds that makes it so much fun, if you've never played it, you probably don't realize why this would make it so much fun. But the exploding dice just Make are out of this of world. Difference. Yeah. It wasn't even original to Savage Worlds. This wasn't the first game system no. we ever saw oh, that had no. exploding dice. No. It was just the best application we've ever seen of it, right? It is so much fun because it makes it, it is built to make this, uh, you know, this fast, fun, very pulpy kind of experience. And, you know, where anything can happen and it's, it's exciting. It's like always on edge, right? And I love that about it and it makes for a great game. But guess what? It doesn't do well. Anything that you don't want to be pulpy, exciting, and always on edge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know right. what I mean. Chase scenes. I'm not a fun fan of their chase scenes. Um, I mm, 
I have mixed so, feelings. I was talking about this yeah. with Ryan the other day because they have like, we've been using Fantasy Grounds and I know they have a Chase plugin for it in Fantasy Grounds, but I haven't dared play with it yet. And we had a scenario a couple weeks ago in that in that uh, Burning Sky game we're doing on the weekends where I could have used the Chase mechanic, but you guys were chasing the guys that had tried to abduct the ambassador. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. but I'm playing the Flash, so... Right, so it was kind of irrelevant. You know, it's like, <laughs> since, since Richard was going to get to wherever they were going well before they did, have a cup of coffee and wait for them to show up, I've got it a wasn't really an issue. And a run die of D12, so... <laughs> Ridiculous. Those of you that don't know Savage Worlds, he's fast. That's fast. That's very fast. <laughs> but the chase is is like a lot of things. You know, they've got a handful of subsystems. They don't. They're not necessarily cobbled on, but they've obviously been massaging them over the years. the The suede version of their chase rules is, I think, better than they've had in the past. Yeah, That's but true. a chase mechanic has always been kind of a cobbled on subsystem in in Savage Worlds. It's fine. I think it's fine. I think it would be okay if something we did enough that we knew it instinctively and just jumped right in. But now it's been long enough since I run one that I even even I would have to stop and sit and look at the rules again and remember what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. I guess that's my problem. Every time I run it, yeah. I have to refigure out what I'm doing. Right. It isn't intuitive. Not yeah. to the rest of the system, it isn't intuitive. Um and they've got other things like that. They just aren't as uh pronounced. Like they're um they're what's that uh interlude system for example it works yeah. completely different than anything else in the game but it doesn't matter in fact you can play the game just fine without and yeah. you can do that with chases too you don't have to yeah. use the chase system to have a chase you know you can do it however you want to dramatic tasks are popular <laughs> uh, yeah it's an, the times i've dealt one. with chases either playing or running in any system it's always seems a little clunky like i remember i don't I don't remember any of the rules off the top of my head because it's been a while, but in D&D, in the Descent for Avernus book, there's a whole section about chasing on their war machines, and I just remember... Because they have vehicles, right? Yeah, it's like a vehicle chase, and it was so clunky because it's something that we i've never run before and you run it one time when you play that game and then never again well here's a, a thing you see a lot in these um and, and you'll see in published adventures whenever they want to do something that's like outside the norm right we want to make, we want to break from what you usually see so you're going to come up with a scenario that doesn't work as well inside the rules as standardized because you want to push the envelope, right? Right. So something like that, a chase sequence or a battle sequence on a scale that usually doesn't work well with standard battle rules or something like that. These things come up and then it's like every time you come across somebody doing it, like like let's say for D&D for an example, and I don't have specific examples like adventures you could go look up, but you know, people listening may have examples they could throw at me if I asked for them, right? Um, let's say you're talking like a chase scene, for example. Here's the chase sequence in this book. We've come up with this situation where your characters get into this chase with these other guys, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to have you roll this, and we're going to have you do this, and decide this, and track it like this. The next time somebody writes something like this, they're going to have a completely different idea how to do it. Yep. And then the next time, a completely different idea how to do it. They don't standardize it in the main books because there's not a good way to fucking standardize it. Right. That's, that's what it comes down to. It's like, if you wanted to play a game that involved massive combats, like with small armies, and you were playing D&D, anybody that's really being smart about it would go play a different fucking game. That's right? what Warhammer's <laughs> for. <laughs> right. Find a different way to resolve your big combats because D&D isn't going to do it. But there's plenty of people trying to build subsystems for it. They're trying, they're trying to build ways to do it. And there's some good ones. And I had a I had a one shot I'd set up at one time that ended up with these people having these vehicles they were supposed to deliver to a certain location. And I was going to have the vehicles then transform to become the whole kaiju robot <laughs> fighting thing <laughs> nice. to fight a monster <laughs> that was summoned. 
So here we are. You've got the people in the different parts of the ship, a la Battle of the Planet. Sure. How old am I? Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, pre- we'll pretend we know what you're talking about. It's good. Go on. So, so here you got you know one player in a leg, one player in a leg, arm, arm, and a head. And you're like, yep. how do how do we control the robot? Do what we need to do. Do the actions we need to do, and still make it compelling to the characters. And I had like action tokens that they could like move around to other people to be able to do certain things. And then they, as their particular role had certain things that they could do while they were engaging in the fight to try to keep it interesting. But yeah, it was te- totally hacked on to Savage Worlds because I don't have Kaiju robot instructions in Savage Worlds. What the hell is right. your problem, sir? I do. You know, I have it in one of the one shots, but I have to have <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> they the, made up their own system. <laughs> it's the mech rule book for Savage Worlds. Well, of course, somebody does. Daddies, so they actually like made them large creatures, and they used the Savage Worlds cre- rules for large creatures. Oh, I get that. Nice. I get like, that. There you go. Like Savage Daddies are all about using the rules as written. That's kind of my point, though, right? Everybody's going to have their own yeah. approach to the. I think the chase system in Savage Worlds is all right because. It, it 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 extrapolates from it doesn't it doesn't extrapolate from the rules of savage rules but it does extrapolate from the tools that are used you right. use cards to do, and the suits and stuff to determine things for what's going on in the chase but it's an abstraction it's a way to right. create an abstract representation of the of the situation but you still have that randomness you have that gains and you have this yep. oh oh we did it yay you, you know you get that little adrenaline rush when the cards and are you're still rolling favor. and you're still rolling checks you're still rolling tests you're still getting exploding dice in places yeah. And there's yeah. stuff going on. I, I don't think it's bad, but I do think it would take some practice to feel like it was yeah. worth it because anytime you have to stop, look shit up, and grind through it to do one simple scene, that's particularly, by the way, a scene that is supposed to be fast-paced and exciting, Yeah, all you want to do <laughs> is tear your hair out and walk out the door. <laughs> it's not fun anymore. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Rich... For anybody that was grew up in the 70s as Battle of the Planets, if you grew up in the 80s, I think it's Voltron. If you grew up in the 90s, I think it's fucking Power Rangers, right? And that's that's what we're going for here. Yeah, okay. All right. I well, Voltron I, was part of Power Rangers. I think <laughs> in like, Power <laughs> Rangers, they all ended up in the same part of the ship. In Battle of the Planets, so they were still oh, in their yeah, separate pieces. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And so they, they have could like separate one room. and come back together. Yeah. But then that's these right. are the people who would also stand in a pyramid and spin around to make a big tornado to win the battle. So that, that's I'm still <laughs> building up this campaign, and I keep wanting to run things, but I couldn't decide if I wanted to deal with the swingy of Savage Worlds or, you know, this type of, or this type of scenario, this type of scenario. And I ended up, I'm like, I'm just going to go ahead and create my own type of rules light system that still has certain effects to give a lot of interesting variation. So I mean, I'm still in the process of fomenting this all together. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's coming up with a combat thing because I still want it to be deep into the role play side rather than the die rolling side. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so... What I kind of want to talk about a little bit, and then all this kind of lends itself to it in a way, is that I, I had um, I'm working on this uh, Advent Adventure series for December, where on, on our Patreon, where if you if you drop in every day, I'm posting a little gaming goodie of some kind. It's free for everybody. You don't have to be a, a patron to to get these. It's just what I want something I want to do for our community. I've I've been I haven't been doing a lot with the Patreon this last year, and I feel really bad about that. There hasn't been a lot of I mean, most of our supporters are just people who support us for the podcast and for work on the events and all that stuff. And I, I love that so much. They have been asking for much from us and um have been kind enough to help pay our certain bills with this uh, that Patreon money. 
So it's important, I feel, to kind of like not ignore you, you guys that do this. Uh, but also, you know, just kind of wanting to get myself into the habit of doing creative things. Again, I, you know, get the juices flowing, try to come up with something, force myself to come up with something like every day. Uh, this was a thing, a conversation that Mikey Mason and I had a couple years ago when he was talking about getting started with what he was doing with Patreon, where he has to do, he has his new Music Monday thing, where it made it so that he had to come up with a new musical release every Monday. The the quality, the, 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 the completion of it may vary a little bit, but it forced him to work. And that was something that um, really, really worked well for him. And I think kept him being creative and kept him focused. And it really mattered because especially when the pandemic hit and he couldn't be out there performing, the Patreon community became a big part of him making the money he needed every month to live on because that's what he does full time is, is a, a musical comedy genius, which I, I love yeah. him for. But oh, yeah. uh, it's one of the things, you know, one of the things he said that, that really made me start thinking, it's like, okay, if I had to come up with something every day and I've, I actually intentionally, I came up with this a couple weeks ago and I intentionally did not work on any content for it until the day before I wanted to launch. So I knew that I was going to, no more than 24 hours out, be working on whatever I was going to release the next day. Now those, I'm not promising anything big because you're not paying for it anyway. I'm just promising <laughs> I'll, I'll post something and I want to see if I can keep it up, right? Because that's the challenge to me. So um, at this point, I've been getting them up every day. And one that I recently posted was about social combat. And this is really just an article at this point. I was talking about um, social challenges and the role they can play in a role-playing game, as opposed to the more the traditional, you know, uh, combat is like, you know, 90% of what we see in traditional role-playing games in terms of challenge, you know, resolution is all yeah. about beating something with a stick until it lies down. Right. And I wanted to be able to kind of remind people, it, it, one, I, I'm not, I'm not dogging on that. If that's the game you love to play, fucking keep on loving to play it. It's oh, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that guy anymore. Absolutely. I was at one time in my life. <laughs> I was very judgy at one time in my life about this shit. Uh, I am not. I get it. I understand. But to be fair, you probably, if that's the game you love, are not listening to me anyway. Because the vast majority of what I talk about is not about hitting other people with sticks. It's about everything else that a role-playing game can do. You know, and, and combat's important, but we even talk about combat in terms of how it can be more immersive and exciting right. and to help build character and help build story. And that's kind of what I'm going about here. And it's some of the other challenges that are involved if you take combat, if you're wanting to provide alternatives to combat for challenges, are pretty obvious. Uh, uh, puzzles, you know, traps, um, you know, story, story based challenges, you know, goals that you have for the story, uh, exploration challenges, you know, of, of exploring the setting of the world or the dungeon that you're in. But social challenges, I think, uh, are a mechanic by which social combat, if you will, is a mechanic by which you can explore a completely different aspect of your characters overcoming obstacles that gives them a lot of potential for growth, a lot of potential for depth, and isn't a simple pass-fail system, which is kind of the case with combat. And what I mean by that, because a lot of times we think combat is pretty pass-fail, like either you kill the bad guy or you don't. <laughs> in a lot of right. cases, if you don't, you are instead the kill E instead of the kill Er. Um, in this case, however, if you look at it from this perspective, you know, games like D&D are, um, and Savage Worlds, you know, games that are task-oriented, or, or, uh, task meaning every time you attempt to do a thing, you roll your dice and determine the outcome. I am going to swing my sword to hit him. You either pass, you fail, right? But pass or fail on swinging the sword doesn't necessarily mean you won't get to do it the next round. Right. Yeah. You know, it is an ongoing exchange until some sort of final resolution is built. Either the combat ends because somebody dies, the combat ends because somebody leaves, the combat ends because the, the stakes change. 
whatever the situation. Oh, come on, no one ever runs away from a fight. They go until they die because I that's how we are. Speak for yourself, you sir. We could do a whole nother show on that, and Vanessa could host it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, okay? I have 100% run away from fights. <laughs> quid pro quo here. Um, and and oh. Vanessa has reached the rewards of that, of wondering if she was going to be the only PC left right. on more than one occasion. Yeah. She, she was. Yeah. <laughs> she was. Sometimes we go, oh, the per- character who is 50 yards away from the rest of the party disappeared. It's time for us to exit the combat <laughs> and sometimes mm. we don't right and there is a mentality obviously with adventure games particularly that particularly when your characters are badasses or you know that's the sense of them you have is that they're becoming badasses over time that running from a fight or ducking out of a fight or ending it in any way other than taking out the bad guy isn't even an option you don't even stop and consider it an option right you don't because. stop and consider it until shit's going terribly wrong most of the time because I'm also and grinding then, for XP. Right. Or or uh, at the very least, we have to accomplish this thing in order to go on to the next thing. So if we if we don't accomplish it now, we're just going to end up having to do all this again <laughs> with the loss already on our record, right? right? It's like, I guess we know better what we're facing, <laughs> but not, so not necessarily they. easy. But pass-fail, you know, is, is pretty much a symptom of the system. Like every time you make a roll, you either are succeeding at something or you're not. And usually to certain degrees, like you roll X amount of damage or what have you. But social combat has a lot more gradation to it, a lot more levels, right? Any type of situation you can be in, um, and I thought it might be kind of fun to brainstorm some situations, uh, can create opportunities where success and failure of different attempts that are being made checks, if you will, quote unquote, or, you know, obstacles you're attempting to overcome. Because one of the neat things about uh, social combat in traditional games, as opposed to, say, physical combat, is that you don't always have to roll a die for the social situation. You can try to role play your way through it. Unless the GM calls for a die roll, you might end up, you know, accomplish exactly. It's less likely to happen in combat scenarios. Not impossible. There are some times when somebody looks at me and says, I'm going to beat the hell out of him, and I'm inclined to look at their sheet, look at the bad guy sheet, look at their sheet, and go, you do. Yeah. You're level 16, they're level 2, you kill them. But by and large, that's not the way it goes. In combat scenarios, usually there's some die rolls involved, there's some quick resolution, you know. It may not necessarily turn into, I'm going to kill the motherfucker, it may turn into, I'm going to slap him around a little bit so he realizes that he needs to respect me. Or, you know, grab him by the scruff of the neck and shake him like a dog until he stops screaming at me, you know. (laughs) Whatever it takes. But uh, in social combat, it can be very different. I mean, you can um, attempt to uh, schmooze somebody, you can attempt to find information, you can attempt to um, you bypass a, an obstacle, you know, a, pers- a, a, a human obstacle, if you will, quote unquote. Um, and, and there could be various levels of pass and fail in those. You know, you may get part of what you want, you may get none of what you want, but end up with a completely different result that may or may not provide you new opportunities. And um, often, any kind of challenges you are presented with in social situations lead to more challenges. Which can vary. You know, um, you decide to try and bluff your way into a party and the, you know, people at the front gate aren't a problem. You managed, you got somebody to do your forgery for you and they made their checks and you, you present the forgery and they look at it and they go, yes, absolutely. You know, go right in, Bob. And you go in and the first person you run into that's of note who looks at you says, you're not supposed to be here. And you try to schmooze them and you do pitifully. Either you role play it badly or, you know, you're not clever, as clever as you think you are, or you try and approach. 
that isn't what needs to be done. Like it turns out this guy is going to respond to stimulus A, but you try stimulus B because you don't know about stimulus A, you know, or something like that. Or you know, you bring up child trafficking when it turns out he's secretly a child trafficker and somehow he's not suddenly on your side. You know, whatever it is, <laughs> there could be gradations you don't even know about that affect right. the outcome. So you know, you you passed in one situation, you failed in the next. But even then, that guy decides to call you out. You can at that point. Say, hey, hang on a second, bring him over here to the side of the room, punch him in the face really hard, drop him on the floor, put him behind the table, and continue on your way. I mean, there are other options that are presented in any situation. Pass or fail is rarely absolute right? True. in the way that it can be in combat most of the time. So uh, one of the things that I was exploring when I was working on this article was what kind of situations I went to my recent games to come up with ideas. Like, <laughs> if any of you are patrons and, um, you know, happen to be in any of my games and go look at this, you're going to notice that the first thing I talk about is an audience with a king where you had to schmooze with some proxies and stuff with the delegates of the other nobles before you went in and talked to the king. And this was a really great example to me because it wasn't just walking into meet the king, making a die roll or whatever to present your case and then seeing how good your persuasion roll was. It was okay, let's get the lay of the land. We got a couple of days to plan, find out who, who's going to be allies in court for us, who's going to be you know, a problem for us in court, who's somewhere in the middle. And then we're going to work on changing the mind of the guys in the middle. <laughs> Focus on that. So we yeah. have more allies when we go into court. And even then, you guys went into court, had some ridiculous exploding die rolls and absolutely you know, crushed what you were trying to say. And still didn't win over the king because of circumstances beyond your control, because plot, you know, there's yeah. just, and, and, but, but the, the accomplishments you made, I would never make it so that you did all that and accomplished nothing, right? That wouldn't be fun. The accomplishments you made in that process, the um, nobles that you, you won over are going to have longer reaching effects in the rest of the adventure. You know, uh, they, you built relationships, right? You, you created groundwork for previous encounters. Um, Which we've already you, you, taken advantage of some. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. Because you guys managed, you guys had to ditch town pretty fast. And it turns out that the two people you kind of turned to your side, they were kind of leaning in the middle, provided assistance. One of those because somebody played an adventure card that was, hey, a whole bunch of people suddenly show up and help us. I'm like, okay, what can I do to make that make sense? <laughs> Okay, here we go. Uh, but it was still great. It was still good. Yeah. Um, adventure cards. Those make, those make savage rolls all the more fun. I don't yeah. Sneaking out of town. I really need to pick up a set of those cards. I don't have any of the adventure cards. Just, oh, yeah, I definitely to, uh, just to find out that they had horses waiting for us and when it would let us leave the gate without a problem. And we're like, nope. <laughs> Yeah, that's what you missed out on the other day, Vanessa. Is um, they were because the, uh, they decided to use a disguise to disguise you guys. Um, uh, John's character used the magic to disguise you guys all as guards. Oh yeah, yeah. Sneak you out the gate, you know, not correct probably. You could just you know your character could just fly out. Yeah. But um, and, and meet him on the other side. But uh, they they went ahead and went through that trouble sneaking out the gate as guards, and it turns out that one of the nobles that you guys had won over had provided horses and let the gate guards know that you guys needed to be ushered through when you showed up. <laughs> so. You guys were on foot, and you needed the horses. So it's suddenly like, well, shit. <laughs> yeah. So what was the solution? You guys went outside, <laughs> talked about it amongst yourselves for a minute, went back inside. He blamed, he blamed my character for forgetting to go before I left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, naturally. Because that's what you're going what? to do. If you got to go to the bathroom and you leave a city rather than just going somewhere outside the city where there's plenty of space, you're going to go into a crowded city to find a place to go. Of course. <laughs> it's just me or is John's character kind of a jerk sometimes. But it was hilarious. Well, we sometimes. do that to each other, though. <laughs> yeah, well, he's just cantankerous. Um, yeah. He's funny because he's a he's a Haragon-like mage, right? 
uh, cook. He's a chef who his um, his tavern business. Well, yeah, he's, he's Aragon, right? He's rabbit folk. Yeah. Um. So his tavern business like folded. It, it, it collapsed in on itself, and finally he's like, I've gone out of business for like the third time or whatever. Screw it. I'm going to go back to the adventuring life that I started when I was younger. So you know, then he ends up on this quest with everybody. So he's older. He's already had a failing career. You know, a failed career. He, he thinks of himself as a chef. The magic is kind of secondary, and of course, he chef themed all his magic, which, which makes is it better. Awesome. But in Savage Worlds. It also was really easy because you just use trappings to make everything chef themed and um you know the power system is a lot more streamlined than say a spell selection and daily uh uses of spells but i uh i, I really enjoy his character he did some fun things with that but what other kind of social situations challenges um do you think we could talk about or have you encountered in your games that um game masters could use could employ to provide obstacles or challenges for their players that add to the game and aren't just hitting people to stick. I mean, it doesn't mean there can't be some sticks involved, obviously. Right. But, uh, you know, feel free to steal on that for a second. Um, another one I talked about was um, a, uh, it was was related to some other uh, posts that I've made and going to make some more of regarding a um, group that needed to get information from some pirates at a casino. And so they um, infiltrated by, you know, trying to gambling with them and stuff. And then like one of them decided they needed to seduce the captain and um, that turned out to be a scenario in which um, our friend James, who was like the least apt person to try to run a seduction con, uh, completely out of his element. So when he got into the thick of it, I turned the tables on him completely and made the captain the aggressor. She wanted to get herself a piece of the James character and started really turning up the heat, which, of course, made him super uncomfortable and freaking out and he had somebody like in an earpiece right the whole time so he's like i don't know what the fuck to do it's like well james you start by taking off your pants you know it's like it's, it's like how do how do we deal with this which was so much fun to see the bumbling and the, the just the, the the coming apart at the seams of it all but i love that part of a social challenge you can foment chaos as um as a player and as a gm in a scenario and still have it turn out to be fun exciting and new and and successful. I could still be. I mean, chaos isn't a bad thing necessarily. Sometimes it's on your side, depending on the type of chaos. Well, um, we ran a game. Uh, we ran an Eberron game. I remember I ran for you guys a while back, in which you guys had to infiltrate a masquerade ball. You guys remember that? Um, a scenario where you needed to talk to somebody who you couldn't really get to any other way because she was a high society person that you couldn't approach, and you ended up using the I masquerade ball opportunity as a way to dress up. And you guys are looking around like you don't fucking remember that. I, uh, I vaguely this remember a little that. But because the town had the library, alive? somebody got in trouble. To be, uh, to be fair, <laughs> there was some time traveling in that campaign, and I lost track of several threads. <sighs> <laughs> I do have a bad tendency to do that, don't I? Um, that one didn't have as much time traveling. It was the one before that that had a lot of the time traveling. Eberron had some time traveling. Not not as much. Well, I, I do remember playing with time travel a little bit, exactly, in that one. And I had planned more, I think, before we ended up having to kick out of the campaign for one reason or another. Yeah. But uh, I, I, did, uh, I did enjoy that. Uh, again, it wasn't to create confusion, but some of the confusion it created was fun. The uh-huh. thing is, when you when you establish, and this is a good lesson for anybody doing social challenge as well, when you establish um, elements of the challenge that can create confusion, 
um, and, the, and, and then thus chaos. You want to make sure that you don't create so much confusion that the players don't remember or know what they're trying to accomplish at any given point, because that can make things frustrating for everybody involved. Suddenly, nobody is working towards a goal anymore, you know, and they become reactive. And, and again, reactive can be fun, too, but it's right, right. not at the expense of actually accomplishing anything in the campaign, you know. Um, and if you have to get if the game master have to, you know, invent the solutions in order to make that work out, you haven't actually achieved much at that point. You know, it's, it's like, oh, look, uh, uh, that Ex Monica over there, Ex Machina over there fixed our problem for us. We're so happy to be here. Do you remember that one time we had to invade the the guild hall at the end of uh, Nira's pirate campaign? Yes, I thought of that one. Uh, was what was it? It was like an auction or something, right? Doing things up above and trying to keep them busy up there so that we, we could, could explore down below and find the. Because you're trying we to see where they were for. keeping keeping like a piece of treasure that was going to be up for auction, presumably. And we yeah. needed to get our hands of it and get out of there before they sold it off to some other underworld or it uh, got stolen out from underneath them, right? Uh, yeah, that was that's a really cool example because there were some player characters who were having to specifically focus on distracting with and integrating with the crowd to try to take attention away from anywhere that the other PCs may need to focus their effort. Literally creating um, chaos. And and gain information in the process. You know, see if they could find out more about what they were trying to accomplish and where they were where it was located so, so they could get that information to the other party. It was fun. Uh, I remember that scenario being really fun. Uh, again, lots of chaos. Like you said, you know, it was, it was one of those where once like the first marble had, uh, once the first domino had fallen, once the first marble had had rolled into the ring, nobody knew where the other marbles were going. It was, it was completely, we were completely blind at that point. Of course, I, I still also have the time, um, not Dawson, geez, same world, different part. Um, when I was, uh, <laughs> guys when, like, yeah, when my character is dressed up as the, as the soldier of the enemy guys who were in the ships and. I had somehow come up in, uh, come up from the water, was still soaking wet, and just started yelling in an accent to the area because I actually had spent some time in the area in my backstory. Uh, help, help, they're attacking me. And I'm being, I'm being attacked. Yep, I the, remember. the soldiers were like, oh no, come here, come here, come here. And so I'm bunkered down here with the enemy soldiers while the rest of my <laughs> character's teams are like getting away. And I have. They're virtually handing shot. him a weapon so to like take a line. Yeah. yeah. On the line. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, uh, he's like, it's crazy. Like your allies are coming running up and you're like, oh, I missed. <laughs> oh, no. oh, I didn't mean to hit our guy. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Again. Oh, I am so disoriented. The water is cold. <laughs> that was hilarious. Oh, that was a good scene. That's just one of those. That was one of those gaming scenes where everything came together. And again, I was still that was a situation by brick. <laughs> everybody was doing what they were good at, though. That was a situation where everybody was doing really what they're best at. And one of those really big examples was what your character was doing versus what Jason's character Brick was doing, because Brick was being an unstoppable tank. That's what he was good at. Literally and him against a tank. They fired a cannon at him. They fired it. They, they hit him with a tank <laughs> twice, and he got <laughs> right back up and kept coming. And um, he had a he had an ability that that allowed him when he was knocked to zero hit points to go right back to one hit point. And he could do like a number of times a day based on his constitution modifier. So like twice, if he had gone down one more time, it would have been it. But twice he got knocked down, pulled himself back to his feet, and started marching towards that tank. After the second time. The white flag popped out at the top of the tank. <laughs> <laughs> There's a point at which the commander was like, no. <laughs> I know we I hit surrender. him. I know we hit him. He must be a god. 
uh, yeah, I love I love that scene. It was it was really powerful, very dramatic. Uh, but the, again, that's kind of the point, right? Is dramatic opportunities, right? It wasn't just uh, straight combat. You guys had a lot of uh, have had a lot of adventures, I think, in which the the characters' actions, even if there's combat involved, were often in service to a larger story component that involved other ways of resolving your issues and they were frequently were social in some fashion persuading somebody of something or overcoming a challenge by um talking somebody into something or getting information out of them uh, and that one can always be tricky you know as a game master you can create scenarios in which uh, acquiring intelligence is the point and intelligence can be misconstrued intelligence can be misinformed um yeah apparently intelligence can be can accurate but or, or it could be accurate and the players have no way of being able to trust whether or not it's accurate i mean there's a lot of different possible shades of that for example i had a one shot i ran a few years ago now this was i think even pre-pandemic and i ended up running it twice it had a moment that was, i built as a social encounter and it was interesting to see the two different approaches because it was the party was all like hanging out in a bar and they found out they needed to get a map from there was these two dwarves that were hanging out in like a dive bar on the other side of town and i built this as like a social encounter okay you're gonna have to go and talk to these guys and try to convince them to give you this map and the first time i ran it that's exactly what they did they sent their bard in the bard talked and schmoozed and lied a little bit and dealt with them and was able to get the map the second time i run it the players are like one of the players went hey you can turn invisible right well yeah all right follow me and they pick up a chair from the bar they were in walk across town just walk into the bar and club the dwarf with the uh chair and while the <laughs> chaos is going on the person was invisible grabbed the map and ran away <laughs> And it was just great seeing the complete opposite ends of this spectrum of social encounters. So you're really playing if you were in a tavern and you do not start a bar fight. Yeah. And the fact that they took the chair from the one bar, walked across town carrying a chair, walked in and just clubbed them with it. That's over the top. Yeah, it was great. Um, we once had a scenario in a uh, pirate game where Nero's character had been locked in a uh, carriage with another NPC. That NPC was somebody that Nero's character wanted to get information out of. And then the carriage ended up in a chase scene with the other PC. So you have this chase going on outside the carriage. Well, the whole time while she's bouncing around inside the carriage, trying to get out of her the ropes where she's roped up and you know, stuff, so she's trying to get information out of the guy at the same time that she that they're that they're trying to get to for the whole encounter, whole adventure. Uh, it was so funny because one had nothing to do with the other, but the chase mechanics set kind of a time limit on the time that she had to work with to try to get the info right. Because when whatever happened, the end of that chase happened. She was going to be out of time, <laughs> one way or the other. And that turned out to be the carriage crashing, I think, into a, like down an alley and into a building. <laughs> but um, it was great. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, I want to say um, another kind of challenge that uh, I, I find interesting is anything that involves, like if you're intelligence gathering, anything that involves infiltrating uh, an organization or a location with nebulous goals in mind. Like, um, I need to find uh, where an item is being held. So, um, we had a museum heist once, too. Were some of you in that one, I think? It was in a Neperon game. We had a museum heist where some of the characters were organizing how you guys, because you guys planned it. That's one of the things I love, is when the PCs get to plan part of, you know, the whole thing. Or be involved in the planning stage. And then execution, which never goes as planned. I mean, oh, it's no. not supposed to. Absolutely But not. they had an elaborate plan. They got them in. One of the characters, actually, I think he was a Warforged. And they, like, um, dressed him up like an older, like... Oh, yeah. Is that you, Rich? 
I remember. Just yeah, dressed up like a me. like yeah, an older model to make it look like you were like a Warforged from back before Warforged were built or something. Like iconography of an older culture or something. And like um, try to pass him off as an artifact. So they wheeled him in, in a, you know, like a box or something and put him in like this room upstairs. Uh, got the museum to take possession of him. So he'd be on the inside to let other people in the front door at night. Stuff like that, which is really cool. I stole that from a Doctor Who plot. Oh, did you? <laughs> there was a, which that's fine. I you, plagiarizing, Welcome to plagiarizing great stories, <laughs> dude. That oh, is yeah. the heart and soul of great role play games right there. But um, yeah, whereas the actual resolution of the, of the event turned out to be a, oh gosh, we've tripped an alarm. Now there's going to be running and there's going to be fighting and there's going to be escaping. Um, but leading up to that, it was a lot of negotiating. You know, first there was the intelligence gathering about what they were looking for and where it was going to be in the museum. So checking out the museum, scoping it out as part of the planning process. Then there was the getting the the statue admitted and stuff. So pretending to be somebody they weren't to, you know, deceive this curator into accepting this uh, artifact and putting it in store with the rest of his stuff, things like that. There were social challenges involved as part of the mechanism. And I love anything that incorporates all these different ways that characters engage, players engage with the game into one overall challenge, if you will. You know, these different types of obstacles, whether they're puzzles or social or or combat challenges, you know, whatever they got to be. And my favorite are when the players get to decide that all on their own, you know, as the GM. And this only works honestly in situations where some of the elements involved are crystal clear. Like, we know that we need to get this thing from this place. So here's the elements surrounding it, and then the players can look at that, and their characters can decide how to approach it. So you may end up with, like Joe was talking about, the people that carry the chair across town and right. put the guy over the head so somebody can steal the item. You may end up with that approach where somebody else took a completely more benign or congenial approach. Um, somebody else entirely might have come up with you know, a completely different way of handling it, because the situation didn't have inherent limits on how to do it. It just had fallout. Mm-hmm. And that's that's my favorite kind of challenge, obviously. And social fallout can be complicated. <laughs> yeah. And it can complicate lives for the characters, which is always fun. Yeah, there was a fun social situation that my Saturday night character had once. Uh, we were dealing with a city of goblins, and one of our characters absolutely hated goblins, but there were thousands of them here, and we couldn't just like pick a fight because we were going to die. <laughs> there were enough sure. of them that it would have been a problem. <laughs> But we, wisdom needed, in that, yeah. we needed help from this city because we were going, we were amassing an army and we were trying to collect people from this city and this city and a lot of people. We were trying to amass an army to take out Torrens that were uh, attacking from another realm. <laughs> okay. So we had to get the goblins to, to agree to help out and join our army. And the goblin king basically went, eh, my city's dealing with its own problems. Fuck off. <laughs> So what my character like decided to do. to do is, we're going to help your city. I'm trying to be a merchant anyways. I'm going to recruit your merchants into helping me distribute my wares. So I went out and stood on the tallest building in the merchant square and decided that I was going to convince the merchants to join me. Because if I can convince them and throw enough money into his city, he'll talk to us. And my Did character was nice. freaking loaded. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Not only that, the merchants were extremely poor because the city was dealing with economic failure because no one wanted to work with goblins. But I effectively like made up a little script for them to, to use to get into cities to sell wares. 
and had massive holdings of stuff because I'd been wanting to go into merchanting and I'd already joined the Merchant's Guild and I've already done a bunch of stuff to, to build it up. I just didn't have the manpower. Now I have manpower. I have a bunch of goblins that now help me distribute my wares. So now Justin every once in a while will have a goblin come up and try to sell us stuff. It's one of my goblins. <laughs> Do not be impressed. Um, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. But then the, the king, once once we did that, he was just like, are you the ones that just pumped a bunch of money into my city? Yeah, I'll talk to you. Right. <laughs> the uh, homebrew game I'm running that, that Joe is in, uh, it's very much, it's not a straightforward adventure. You know, it never has been. Um, it's very much a story about the characters. <laughs> well, compare that, for example, to the game we go on Tuesday night, which have specific adventures you guys are that's going, true. you know, that's but that's published shit I got from somewhere else, right? Um, kind of War of the Burning Skies, the same kind of thing. <laughs> you know, it's got more story to it, but you know, it's still it's still a story you're experiencing. It's still you know your characters are involved in events that are moving along and helping fulfill certain goals. Yeah. Um, this game I'm running uh, on Monday nights is actually very much the characters' goals at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the ball is pretty much entirely in their court. Uh, they've established a uh, they're their ninth level D and D characters. They've established a, a castle. You know, they established their own keep, uh, their own realm, their own standing army. Um, they're creating an you know economic standing in their area. Um, they have goals that are you know involve the larger political spectrum situation. They have had entire sessions that took place in places like when you guys visited the King City and went to uh, the Regent's Palace. Right. And, you know, the entire session was nothing but role-playing encounters. Yeah. A couple of you were sneaking around, stealthily, trying to find stuff in the palace, which is ostensibly why you were really there. But you also were in, embroiled in these uh, encounters with other people that have a bearing on the larger events that your characters are involved with. And um, instead of being subtle or deceptive about that, you guys decided to, like, just meet at full force. <laughs> right. Say this is who we are, and this is what we're doing. And how do you like them apples? Um, Run in head first and see what happens. As I recall, Joe's character had a lot to do with that. Oops. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, and then steal the regent's crown, the regent's daughter, and skip town as quick as they could. Yeah. So, I mean, they're not necessarily real popular with the regent at this point. Yeah, he, he doesn't like us. But um, but they've also been building political connections with other realms, and and like uh, they got to a point where they got the there was definitely a turning point in the campaign when they got the castle and uh, the army had been kind of collected, the beginnings of an army. And the first thing that happened when uh, you know nearest character Gwen had an army at her disposal is she went she suddenly turns and goes, "Here's a thing that we're gonna do." You know, for the first time, it wasn't let's deal with the situation that's unwinding in front of us. It was um, I have an idea. Yeah, you know, and so that became. We're going to take this army over to that their city that's under siege. We're going to break the siege, and the prince is going to love us for it. And then we're going to go march our army back to our realm. And then once they got established there, okay, the next thing we're going to do, you know those fuckers that blew up that keep that we were in that time several levels ago when we were on the other side of the mountains? Yeah, you know him? We're going to go over there with our Let's army. Go fuck him we're going over. to kick his ass. Oh, yeah. And we're going to conquer his entire kingdom, take his city because he is a problem because he's right next door to us. Um, and then we are going to turn our attention to the next motherfucker that we don't like. And now this is a thing. Yeah. And I do not know where it's going to end exactly. I do Good not luck. know how, how bad this is going to get, how deep it's going to go. <laughs> and the, the characters, the, the, the rage of the PCs has no end to its depths at this point. It's like, we have been pushed around 
and made pawns of prophecy and been made to deal with one situation after another that we found ourselves in, like it or not, from day one. And now that we have our own tools, our own resources, and our own name to bank on, nobody's safe anymore. I mean, we started this game... I think in 2020, because it was, yes, we started online pandemic. and then went to in-person and then you moved. So we're back online. Yeah. And in all that time, this is the, really the first time we've ever been proactive. It's, we've Pretty been much. very, we've been <laughs> very little reactive. Moments. Yeah, there's moments, but overall it's been mostly reacting what's been happening around us and trying to deal with this prophecy that we don't really understand. This is the first time we're like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just do what we want to do. And if it turns out to be fulfilling prophecy, at least we got to decide it. Right. It reminds me of some of the Ark of Rand in the Wheel of Time. <sighs> it is largely inspired by. <laughs> <laughs> of all the games I've run, I've, I've, I have plagiarized the shit out of the Wheel of Time and other popular book series and stuff of, of favorites of mine over the years for various things. I've plundered them for various things. This is the first time I had a player come to me when we were starting a campaign and go, I would like to play a chosen one archetype. Someone who has been chosen by some power or prophecy or destiny that they are railing against the whole time. Nero came to me with this idea, and I went, that sucks. Let's not do that. I'm going to turn around to the other players and see if they want to do it. And everybody convinces me that this is the way to go. No, that's not the way it went at all. I went, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we're going to do that. I like that idea. Yeah. And now no, she's regretted it for three years running. We're going to do it my way. That's not how that works. <laughs> yeah. uh, GM, play game. my way or go to another table. But lots of social challenges in that campaign. Right. It's, it's definitely part of our, um, part, part of the regular expectation. We have characters who are badasses, but they don't necessarily expect to be in fights all the time. Right. They're, they're very capable of it. You know, they, they don't hesitate when it's what's important or what's necessary or when it's the most effective way to get what they want. Uh, but because sometimes that isn't always necessary, but, uh, yeah. And they don't win every fight either. No, we don't. <laughs> sometimes the fights they lose are the most formative. <laughs> you do learn more from failing, assuming you live. <laughs> Gwen has lost two major duels since that campaign started. Yeah. And the first one landed them all in a pickle and uh, captured for the most part. And they had to work their way out of that situation. Um, but she also fell in love with her captor and uh, who is the major, a major campaign villain. And her character is looking for ways that they can have secret trysts that the rest of the party doesn't know about. <laughs> and it's hilarious. And um, the other one, because Jonica's character just comes apart anytime the situation looks like that's what's happening. Um, and then the other one was more recent. And after she lost the duel, uh, Joe's character stepped up and went, you know what? No, you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Beats the guy down, looks at everybody around them and goes, that look honorable to you, looked honorable to me. And everybody's like, of course it did, sir. And covers their balls. Uh, it was, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, it was very much that kind of situation. So, you know, honorable, smonorable, you know. Yeah, they had this long like duel going back and forth, and it was it was close. So she, she came goes, down to one hit. Yeah, the it was next like, hit, whoever he, it was, was, he had gonna... like one or two hit points left. And I'm a warlock, so any spell I cast is at fifth level. I smacked this guy down hard. Yeah, because the next thing he might have done was actually try to kill her or something. But he certainly uh, wasn't going to be allowed to do whatever it was. 
yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a bad deal. Yeah. And Gwen was sorely disappointed at her loss, and it has definitely affected her confidence. And we have a little thing in our um, role-playing kind of schema at our table called um, continuity. So, you know, to this day, it still affects Gwen, I can tell. You know, it affects her personality, affects her her ability to deal with certain kinds of situations. These things kind of, I mean, they'll they'll calm over time, of course. And I'm sure it didn't help. She got beat down by this guy. I end up dropping him. And then right when she's up, I'm in her face yelling at her like what the fuck did you do that for and yeah i was like my character was not happy with her character at that point and, <laughs> and you let know, her know since she lost there's no denying that you were right mm-hmm. which just made it worse especially since she's the one who needed to be able to stand up in front of her entire army and convince them that she was right and you know divinely in charge of the situation right uh just so you know you had to control the rumor mill as well yeah it was it was rough. Yeah, it was it was a it was a fun sitch. But again, that, the funny thing about that is, it was a combat scenario that, that was followed by social challenges. <laughs> um, I also made managing that army. I, I took a lot of hints from the wheel of time with the way Perrin's army was fracturing constantly, and I've have like different factions in her army that have different captains who are constantly pulling her attention in different directions and providing their own. Sometimes they obviously seem to think they know better than her. She's a young warrior woman. You know, this one guy is a knight in his fifties. Yes, of course you are my liege, but you know, if you would let me handle this, I'm sure that things would go smoother. Um, that that kind of you know personality stuff going on. Right. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, I, I I don't know if you uh, if you have any ideas you'd like to share with us. Um, we do have a Discord server where we like to have conversations uh, that come up in the show. Feel free to drop us a line, and we'd like to talk about it if you've had any sort of um, experiences with unique or interesting social challenges. We love to hear about them because they may give us ideas for our games. And that's that's always Trish. a thing, of course. Yeah. Um, definitely do that. I'll uh, make sure all the all the the links for that are all on our. Um, our, our website on the page in the show notes. If uh, you are interested in checking out the Advent Adventure stuff this month or just uh, supporting us in general, definitely check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash prismatic tsunami. And uh, we have uh, you know some different levels there that get access to kind of some get access to the Discord uh, private channel for patrons. Some of it gets access to uh, like different publications that we've done in the past and there will be more of that. Uh, it's not the point of the whole thing. The point of the whole thing is just, uh, like I said, been about supporting the community and, and helping me pay the bills for it, which is a lot of like domain hosting and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, the software that we're using to record, all that stuff. You know, I need to upgrade some of this hardware. So if you'd like to pay more, you're welcome to. Uh, feel free to drop in and uh, you can always email us at feedback at prismatic tsunami.com. I still do occasionally get emails. Weird. People still use that. I don't, uh, I don't do uh, the TikToks and stuff or anything. So I was going to say much, but I, I, I think I was pointing out to Vanessa the other day. It's like, so for some reason, my TikTok account, such as it was, has been um, suspended. I don't know what I did. That China hates me. It decided you don't, don't get TikTok anymore. Maybe they I figured guess. out you were too old. Oh, wait. I'm oh. on there. <laughs> wait. Yeah, that doesn't work. Wait, it's ran by China. Did you mention Taiwan on there? Oh, fuck. I didn't think of that. That would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't oh, ever mentioned anything on TikTok. Now we can't say our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there I go. There goes our whole Chinese audience. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. We had a big bump right before Thanksgiving in our ratings. Um, a whole bunch of people downloaded the show. 
I didn't check to see if they were all out of China or anything. It's possible. That happens sometimes. But uh, I figure it's a big traveling day, the day before Thanksgiving. A lot of people doing podcasts. They're driving on the highway and stuff. Makes sense. That, that works. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if it's stuff you like, like we travel through a lot of dead, dead space when we go from like where we live to like where my in-laws live. And that means you're downloading shit ahead of time if you're smart. Because um, otherwise I, I have to listen to the only things my wife has downloaded ahead of time, which is usually Nickelback. And where's nothing wrong with that. Look, it's nice to have options. That's I yelled, right? Um, so, which probably why uh, people don't like traveling with me. If I could get a recording of that, I could play it and you could yodel for us. Too. Okay. As long as I downloaded it ahead of time, apparently. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to episode number 294 of Metagamers Anonymous. Going to get out, out of here for tonight. I have kept everybody uh, glued to their seat here long enough, I think, for today. <laughs> uh, my name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Joe. 